0: Thanks for joining us tonight on our live stream. I have a very special guest. He's not only a relative of mine, he actually happens to be my oldest nephew. His name is Sam Blair, actually Samuel Harrison Blair. He's a SEAL team officer. Uh, You just got out of active duty recently. He was also uh, a teacher at the United States Naval Academy, taught leadership to the incoming freshmen, or as the Naval Academy calls them, plebes. And uh, he's been here at our church teaching some leadership courses to our staff. But tonight, uh, Sam and I, we were reflecting today on probably the most inspirational person in both of our lives. And you can see behind me a picture of that individual. Uh, That's a picture of my dad and your grandpa. Uh, and, and actually, I think in that, he is a lieutenant commander. So he's same rank as you. Yeah. But he went on to become a United States Navy captain, which is two ranks higher. Uh, you have something to ascribe to there. You've got some work to do. But uh, both Sam and I today were reflecting on my father and his grandfather, uh, Captain Roy E. McCoy. And my dad has gone to be with the Lord. Uh, let's see, sir, passed away about, what, four years ago?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we call him Sir, Uh, that was his name in the family, Uh, and he was actually given that moniker by you, because when you were his first grandson, actually his first grandchild, uh, you called him Sir because you heard everyone else in the military calling him Sir, and you thought that's what his name was.
1: Yeah, I was so surprised, I remember as a kid, like the mailman, you know, here goes Sir, or at the grocery store. Here you go, sir. I was like, oh, my gosh. He's and, famous. Everyone yeah, knows his name. And
0: you go into the yeah. the Navy base, and everybody would salute him right. and call him sir. Right. So you just assumed as a young child his name was sir. And that moniker stuck, and so he became sir from that point on. So you're the one who named him. I hope you're happy with that.
1: Yeah. I, it was a running joke, apparently. My yeah. dad said, uh, growing up, you know, what, what, what do you want him to call you? He said he'd call me sir it's it's stuck I love i think it's fitting too it is
0: it is fitting fitting. and uh, so sam and i were reflecting on the most inspirational person in our lives now uh, you know i had a great father you've got a great father but even your dad was deeply moved by sir oh sure yeah and he he became in a sense a father figure to your dad yeah so uh, all, all three of us have been deeply touched by this man's life. And tonight we want to reflect why and look back on some great lessons that we learned from his life. Um, and a lot of you don't know him, but suffice it to say, to my right is, now granted, he's my nephew, um, he's part of my family, but he's also a remarkable human being And that, you know, a lot of folks don't obtain to the level of a Navy SEAL. And that, uh, you were what graduating class,
1: two? I'm blushing.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <in> his... <laughs> and you and I went to the same high school, Coronado high, high School. You same played School. Same Warpo Yeah. Uh, Randy Burgess. Yeah.
1: And uh, you went through that. He didn't like me rather the gate because of you. Yeah, because of me. Yeah, you're, well, you're related to that guy.
0: I was his first All-American.
1: Yeah, I know. He loved you. He's he a good yeah. guy. He's a good guy. Yeah.
0: And so you graduated from Cornell High School. You went on to Franciscan University. Yep. I'm a Protestant minister, um, and and I've, I've got a Catholic nephew. And you were actually, I remember this uh, on Sir and Gigi. That's what we call my mother, your grandmother. Uh, on their 50th anniversary, we went on a cruise. And I remember you were contemplating whether or not to go into the priesthood or into the SEAL teams. Yeah.
1: I mean, those are you know, those are two interesting yeah, directions in life. They certainly are, but I don't, I don't think they're incongruent. I think no. there's that, that tie-in with service. And uh, I think there's also a, you know kind of a fast-forward to that story. My wife showed up to campus. She had transferred from a Southern school, Auburn. Auburn, yeah. War Eagle. And I thought, man... This game changer, you know, so completely big rudder correction to use a Navy term, and I was like, I'm going to marry her, Uh, which took years. It was a long. Well,
0: you know, you know, a a woman or a man chases a woman until she catches him.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I I ended up uh, doing some mission work, which was a big catalyst for just seeing. I I saw a lot of. suffering. I was out in East Africa working with Mother Teresa's Order of the Missions of Charity. And uh, a lot of these kids have been mutilated, yep. uh, blinded. They had limbs truncated, cut off. And they were put out on the streets of Addis Ababa to, to beg people would take them in, take their money, feed them, put them out on the streets. Just this r- vicious cycle. Some good Samaritans got them to the orphanage. And I remember trying to process this as like idealist young man. I been doing what to these kids? And, uh, we were in the thick of it, you know, in Iraq, and I thought, I want to I wanna serve something greater than myself, and uh, I thought, who's the best trained, best equipped? Um, I said, well, the, these guys, you know, and they're in the backyard, yeah. and I'm sure you knew a lot of the NSW guys growing up, being a water polo player in Coronado.
0: You got to explain NSW, Naval Naval Special Warfare. Naval Special
1: Warfare, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was the fast track, and then I think of the... End of it, though, is just I wanted to be like, sir, I yeah. mean, this is this guy was my hero growing up. He was
0: mine, too. Yeah. You, uh, I remember on their 50th anniversary, we were on the, the bow of the boat, and you were contemplating whether the priesthood or a SEAL team. And I remember sharing with you out of Romans 13 that, you know, you, you still will be a minister if you go into the SEAL team. You'll be a minister of, of justice to execute wrath on those who would do evil. And I remember you processing that and just, just seeing you walk through that whole kind of concept and then when you wrapped your mind around it you entered into the teams and you were successful and, and what's the attrition rate for folks entering into the teams going through buds training basic underwater demolition training yeah. Um, yeah you get the cream of the crop of the navy i mean you have to just just to be accepted to go into the buds training and then is, is it like a 70 percent attrition rate yeah
1: i mean the numbers they kind of they fluctuate but that's what average 70 80 i've, I've heard. But at the end of the day, I I, I think what you had shared when I was a young man, I thought, man, that's accurate. And some of the greatest men and women that serve our country, I think, do it from places. And they they inspire me and just incredible human beings. And I think they strive to to the same standard that Sir did. I, I was thinking tonight because you know
0: there's a lot of folks out there that that don't have a father figure or a grandfather figure like you possessed, and a father figure like I possessed, and even with your dad. And you know this is this is a world that doesn't have strong fathers, not not a lot of strong role models in men. And uh, you know you're a you're a father of some boys, uh, faithful husband, faithful father and you're instilling in them a vision for the future of, of the country and uh, you know, a humble walk with the Lord. And, you know, watching you process that at your age, and here I am at 56, I, I remember when you were born, it was 84, is that right? Yeah, 80. 84, because the Padres were in the World Series against the Detroit Tigers, and they just got shellacked. And I was a lifeguard at the time. And I remember when you were born, and and I was so excited. And, you know, Sam, you've been a blessing to the family from day one. And it's just been remarkable to see, you know, how my sister, my brother-in-law raised you, and, and your two sisters and your brother, uh, your brother serves in the United States Marine Corps, he's a pilot, flies C-130s. And uh, your two sisters are remarkable, and, and it's just a great family. But you've, you've grown up with a love for God, a love for country, uh, a commitment to, to honesty and truthfulness, instilling values in, in your children, and um, your family's been prolific. I mean, as far as Catholic families are concerned, I mean, between you and your sister, you guys have you know you got a good good brood going there with all the kids, and uh, we got to get Stuart rolling a little bit and Susan too. But you know,
1: yeah, but yeah. You, you guys have done so well, you and Lauren. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I, and I think to the point on just manhood, masculinity. One thing I love about Sir. And I think the reason he was such an inspiration is when I was a kid people, why do you, why do you like him so much why do you love your grandfather so much And I think one young boys have an inclination to their grandfather yeah nothing against their dads yeah. I love my dad but there's just some bond that a, a, a grandson has with his grandson um, grandson has with his grandfather and I would categorize sir as a gentleman I, I, a, a gentleman a, a gentleman yeah. and the more I unpack that phrase, the more I'm familiar with this idea of what is it to be a gentleman, it implies that you already have strength to hold back. and. I mean, this this is something that I grew up looking at.
0: Yeah, let's let's and show
1: everybody. So there's no doubt he was a warrior. He was point. a warrior. Yeah.
0: So share with everybody before I, I show this picture. It was a Time magazine article. Sure. I mean, my dad, your grandfather, was written up in Time magazine, and this is an article from August 5th, 1966. So I would have been two years. I wasn't even two years old. I was born August 10th of '64, so I was not even quite two. And here he is. He's in Vietnam. Um, I'm. I, you know, he's gone most of my early childhood. I remember at times he'd come back from a tour of Vietnam, and I—this is your dad—and I'd have to like recalibrate and, okay, so this is the man I'm supposed. To, this is my dad, you right, know. Right. And uh, being a like Gigi, being a uh, an officer's wife, especially during time of war, and they'd be gone for over a year at a time. And it wasn't back when they had sat phones or right. communication ability. I remember talking to sir via um, the the radio with these ham radio operators and and he would he would talk and then when he was finished he'd have to say over and then they'd flick the switches and then I would talk hang up, they yes. would hang up and then I'd have mm-hmm. to talk and then you have to say over and then it flicks the switch so you you can't have direct conversations you're just hearing them until you flick the switches so th- this is this is the world that my mother your grandmother had to deal with in time of war trying to hold the family together um and, and you know, you've know you served in combat areas, uh, you're, you, you're a, a military officer, you followed in the line of, of this man, and he's written up in Time Magazine, but you, you probably can recall his military career better than I can. How many tours of Vietnam did he have? It's a great question. I, I thought it was three, maybe it was I four. I think it was four. Maybe it was and
1: four, yeah. He in Korea as well. And uh, I just remember when I, you know, could read, I walked past it. What is this? Yeah. And you know, Westmoreland's famous for, you know, documenting everything, to include body counts. So this, it's no surprise here. You got. Let me
0: let me just hold yeah, it up yeah. for
1: folks to see. So,
0: this is <clears throat> this is the. Uh, it, it's been enshrined. So obviously this, this is directly out of time magazine. It's called McCoy's Navy, August 5th, 1966. And I'll read it. It just says South Vietnam, uh, McCoy's Navy among the stately carriers and dashing destroyers of the U S seventh fleet. There exists an ugly, unlikely division of four ships that is known as McCoy's Navy. It's officers and men are recognizable from afar by their luxuriant beards and deep suntans. Uh, And the approach of their elderly craft can be detected by the clatter of chipping hammers pecking away at rusty decks. The ships themselves have high, unsheared bows and an ungainly 12-knot waddle, while most advanced piece of electronic gear aboard any of them is a popcorn machine. <laughs> Yet inshore fire support Division 93, as McCoy's Navy is known officially, is one of the most valuable units in the South China Sea. It serves as a seagoing artillery of the South Vietnamese Army. And it goes on. Uh, I, I could read it its entirety, but they fill the gap. And he basically... Uh, they would, they would bring these, these bobtail cat cruisers into shallow waters, almost beach them, and then the entire front of the boat was rocket launchers, and they would just shoot the rockets yeah. in uh, with coordinates given by the South Vietnamese Army on incoming Viet
1: Cong to try to stave off
0: the advance. Yeah. Is that
1: correct? Yeah, that's how I understood. And I, I went to a couple of his ship reunions as a kid, and yeah. I remember these old guys would come up to me and shake my hand, you know, water they you know, they just say these... Profound things about Sir. I was like, I, I know he's a great guy. And now you're hearing it from these, you know, large groups of of hardened individuals. I was like, wow, this my grandfather was somebody. Yeah. In this, like, he really had an impact. But it wasn't just the fact that he was a war and he led well, but he cared about. He cared deeply about his men, and um, his community, and his family. He was passionate. He was a passionate individual. He had strength. He held it back. And, when it was time and it was appropriate, but he unleashed it. Yeah, he unleashed it when it was appropriate, too. So you're you're 36 right 36, now. 36. Yeah.
0: So this article was written when he was 38 years old.
1: Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. You know what I love about this? So you talk about the popcorn machine. Growing up, there's a story about Sir. You know, his foundation is epic. He grew up in the Great Depression. Yep. You know, he his he, there's a story that times are so tough that you know you, people were renting. There's hey, we'll rent this house for two months. Pay one month one one month for, and the second month is free. So, he said we moved every two months. <laughs> we like got enough for one month down, you know, and then we we got a month free. We'd move. He said he moved to like seven different high schools just around the area. But the thing I loved about the Great Depression story that plays in this popcorn story here is when he's he said we had no money. And we're going around town. Movie theaters got to the point where they were desperate. They said, look, if you just donate a can of food, we'll let you in. Because we'll we'll eat the can of food. We'll keep this thing going. (laughs) Like, we don't even have a can of food. So they would walk around, and he had two brothers and a sister. Right. And Gene, Uncle Bill, Uncle Ralph. They ganged up on Gene, pinched her, you know. She'd start wailing, crying. making a scene, uh, and the you know movie theater attendant come out, you know, dress the boys down. She's like, come on, come on, we'll give you a movie. Walk her in. She go out the exit door. Come on, come on, <laughs> bring them in. <laughs> watch a movie. They leave. Grab a can of you know canned goods, pocketed. <laughs> you know, free movie, you know, canned goods. But that carries over when he's in the military. He was telling me stories, and I would love to hear some of your stories that he shared, but. I, one particular one that stood out is this this little, they call them like a Corvette type. It's yeah. just below a destroyer. It had an ice cream machine, you know, which is only rated for a battleship back <laughs> in the day. It's like, how did you get an ice cream machine? He, said, he was well, scrappy. He, yeah, it was, he yeah. was scrappy. He's like, well, they were just laying, you know, the foundation for the hall. And I made this drug deal, you know, on the wharfs. Like, not hey, a legitimate drug not deal. But, yeah. hey, yeah. look. He ended up basically getting the ice cream machine on his, sealed it, so there was like, hey, game over. Like, it's ours. You know? And I said, where's our ice cream machine? Sorry. uh,
0: You were talking about how his men revered him. Yeah. And you don't know this story, but for for all of you that are watching, uh, both Sam and I are aware that my father, Sam's grandfather, suffered with Alzheimer's for 15 years. And uh, one of his very first commands as a young lieutenant, you don't get a command of a ship as a lieutenant. Actually, he might have been a Lieutenant J.G. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah he's a Lieutenant J.G., which is even more remarkable. And it was the USS Summersworth, and it was a minesweeper. So what, like a couple? Oh, it was just a tiny little yeah. you know ship, but he was a commanding officer, a CO yeah. of a minesweep as a Lieutenant J.G. And they were doing sonar testing on the eastern seaboard. And uh, a munitions expert came on board and they couldn't get the, ex- the explosion to occur at a certain depth because they just didn't have enough detonator to pull that off. And so this explosive expert, apparently you know, they only fit four detonator caps. It couldn't fit a fifth. So he figured he could get a fifth one in by hammering it. And it blew up the ship. Uh, and the three-quarter-inch steel grating on the bridge is what saved Sir's life because it bent over and he didn't get shrapnel, but his bosun's mate was killed. They had to summon the Queen Mary to circle three times to cool the boilers and come alongside to transfer the wounded because it was the only ship that had a doctor on board, and he saved their lives, but when he went down, one in particular, his arm had been blown off, and his jugular vein, he was able to stop the bleeding and keep the man alive, and when they summoned the Queen Mary, he kept him alive. Well, now we're years later uh, he survived that and we went back for the ship's reunion in Summersworth uh, New Hampshire and they were dedicating a plaque uh, to a ship that you know represented their city that had made it on the front page of every newspaper in America back then and and we went back for the ship's reunion and for the dedication of this park it was called Summersworth Park and Sir went back but he didn't have his faculties and he didn't know where he was, but he knew he had to go. And he was with my mother, and he wanted to honor that. And I remember at the reunion, that man came up with a prosthetic arm, and he was in tears. Oh, wow. And he said, and, and, and Dad didn't recognize him, but the man was with his son. He was choked up, and he said, your, your father saved my life. I said, I heard the story, sir. He said, this is my boy, and I want my boy to meet the biggest man I've ever known. He said, "Um, do you know, and, and, and Sir was oblivious of the conversation. He said, do you know that your father drove all the way to Connecticut every single night to be with me in the hospital while he was going back? Uh, to the command center to face what would be the hearing on an explosion on board his ship because as a commanding officer, you're, you're facing the consequences of this. But he cared for these men every single day. And of course, he was exonerated because it was the explosive ex- expert's fault. And his, his career at that point seemed almost over. But of course, he was exonerated and continued to have an illustrious career with the Navy. But I could see in that man's face that he understood... Uh, how precious leadership like SIR's was, and what it meant. And here he is with his son and his grandson, and his life was saved by your grandpa. And and you and I reflected back on this life. I mean, even in the throes of Alzheimer's, he was a remarkable human being.
1: Yeah, remarkable. And I, I I remember. I mean, for for those who you know their families might suffer with Alzheimer's, it's it's a sad disease. And you know who it really impacts is the is the family. And the family, yeah. But I say, for for sure, when he was dealt that blow, the news. I mean, I remember when I was in high school. I I shed tears yeah. because the first thing that went to my mind as a you know fourteen year old boy is he's not going to remember me. Yeah, you know, he's and this is the, again my hero, and uh, he's not going to remember who I am. That's just that's how the yeah. brain works. We, all, we always we always But him. I remember just seeing how he carried himself, just that the dignity. The self respect, and he processed it very stoically. Just said, so, yeah. Well, this is how it's going to be. And he moved forward. And, you know, we visited him um, at his house as he's kind of, as you said, kind of in the throes of it, and you saw the degeneration, and ultimately in a, uh, a retirement a, a home, yeah. home and he Assisted was, living facility. So he continued to have that dignity and the respect. Yeah. And continue to look out for people. Yeah. he was still. He would walk the halls, hand on his back, yeah. making sure he beds like Napoleon, yeah. the bedroom made yeah, in the, uh, the the home, looking out for people, yeah, pushing wheelchairs. Like, please don't push the wheelchair. We're, All right, I got it, I got it. You know, helping out with
0: people. Everyone, you know, they said that when people would die in the rest home, he would always come in. They called yeah. him Captain Love, and he'd come in and comfort the family, not able to speak, but right. just his presence. He tapped them. He would tap the the person and. He was, uh, he was the longest living resident in that, that assisted living facility, yeah. and they adored him. Every single one of the, the, the personnel that worked there came to his funeral. Yeah. It was remarkable.
1: And I, I just I loved the fact that he showed us, he showed our family what it looks like to have an end game in mind. Yeah. You know, he, those, those small choices, visiting someone, In the hospital, when you could be preparing for a court martial, your career, he said, well, this person, this relationship is more important. He turned down, he turned down a one star to Admiral so that. He, know, could, he could care for my mother. Yeah, so that you could, you could finish up in high school at Coronado. Like, yeah, hey, he, have that continuity.
0: He, he figured, you know, uh, we've done enough moving. I'm going to let Rob stay in his yeah. school. I'm going to let you stay in the house you love, Louise. And he gave up a, a command for a
1: one-star admiral, which is, that's a big thing. And these are macro decisions. Yeah. He's, he made several micro decisions along the way. And those levels of just choosing virtue, choosing virtue, choosing virtue, they bore fruit because you and I both saw in that retirement home Cranky old individuals, yeah. bitter, bitter, and you saw Roy McCoy. Yeah, the contrast. Chest out, smile on his face. Yeah, shaved. Shaved, clean, sweet smelling. His hair did not look mine like yeah. mine. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. combed. Yeah. It was neat.
0: Yeah, he he um, his bed was made. Always yeah. made. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the throes of Alzheimer's, he had lessons to teach us. Yeah. Um, one in particular, and I, I brought it in for everyone to see, and I think I told you the story, but. One of his coping mechanisms when he had Alzheimer's is that he would give you a tour of the house he was living in. Now, I didn't need a tour of the house. I knew that place up one side and down the other. And But he'd give you a tour of the house anyways, because that's what he did. He wanted to feel significant. Yeah. And when he was done taking you on a tour of the house, he would take you on another tour of the house. And it was this endless <laughs> loop. And I remember being polite and, and wanting to honor him as a son. but tiring of my sixth or seventh time through and trying to, you know, appear to be engaged. (laughs) But I finally just settled and said, you know, what is it that he's trying to show me? And as we went up to the hallway, and you remember this, in the hallway, on the left side of the wall were all the pictures of the family that we would take every year. Right. And then on the right side of the wall were all of his accomplishments. President of the Chamber of Commerce, President of the Rotary, Senior Executive Vice President, you know, uh, Bronze Star, Legion of Merit, I mean McCoy's Navy, this, this plaque was up there. All those things just adorned the right side of the wall. I noticed that he never showed you the right side of the wall. He always showed you the family until he got down to the end of the hallway. And, and over here behind you and, and to my right is this plaque that hangs in my office that I brought in tonight for the folks to see. It was this plaque of all of his commands. And each of the commands is listed. And you see his, his Navy brevets that he yeah. would wear, the shoulders, and his, his ceremonial sword. But then down below, you see the Legion of Merit, the, the bronze star with the combat action ribbon, which is, we can talk about the significance of that. V for valor. Yeah. V for valor. I mean, that's what, third only to the Medal of Honor. Uh, it's the third highest combat ribbon, I think. And then the Legion of Merit is way up there. And as you go through all these, he never showed you any of that. But he would take this... 80-plus-year-old finger that was shaking with age, uh, composing what was left of his memory. And with a shaking hand, he would point to a 70-year-old weathered and frayed uh, and tarnished ribbon at the bottom, which was, as you can see me pointing, it's that, that Eagle Scout right. award. Right. And what he was communicating is, family matters, and all the virtue I possess I learned as a boy. And I learned it from this organization. Yeah. And the Scout Oath, the Scout Law. And these were things that he would reflect back on to the point where you were just touched. And I remember remember him going on scouting outings with us. And he still knew all these things and instilled that in his family. Now, he wasn't a real churchgoer. He'd had Christian science background, but he'd kind of walked away from that Um, And and I don't remember ever praying with him or reading the Bible, but as you and I both know, um, he came to Christ later in life, and it was your dad who led him to the Lord, and his biggest hindrance or I should say obstacle to embracing a God of salvation and grace and mercy was the fact that as we read this McCoy Navy article where you see the body count and, and the dead Viet Cong, he would have to go in and assess the dead and he would see civilians that had been killed in the rocket fire. And he carried that personally. He didn't think God could forgive him right. f- for, for acts of war and he, he, he still lived a virtuous life, but lived with that, those demons that I, I, I did the duty of my nation, but I can't see God forgiving me for that. And it was your dad who took him through the story of the centurion that each of the centurions that the Lord reflected on in scripture, he always commended them that they were men under authority. And once my dad came to that understanding that God understood authority and that he was, you know doing the best he could and he understood the mercy and grace of God, there was a profound change. You, you, you actually can teach an old dog new tricks.
1: There you go. Yeah.
0: And, and your your dad, Harry Blair, had the privilege to lead, sir, to a relationship with Jesus.
1: Yeah. I, there's there's so much you just said that I think is, is awesome. We could spend a lot of time unpacking, you know, starting with the scouts, you know, just going through that. I mean, he was an adventurous guy. Yeah. I mean, he... I remember him telling stories about he would make money for school. You know, he started off at Creighton, you know, and he was in our ROTC scholarship. And then his... uh, He
0: actually played football at Nebraska for
1: a season, yeah. And then he he ended up going to Nebraska from Creighton. So he had two years, like, how do I pay for this? So he had to... He was working in Montana on a ranch trying to, you know, dig up some cash. And he hitchhiked across the country. He hitchhiked across the country, spent some time in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was before he joined the Navy, you know, and he just kind of was an adventurous, free-spirited guy, but at the same time had structure. He had, despite, you know, his background, he had that foundation. He knew right and wrong, his moral compass was, was pointed true north. But what I loved about this, right, I remember walking past this, you, you mentioned the body count. Yeah. And I was like, well, let's, let's read it. Let's, yeah, I'll just read this real quick. So, all told, McCoy's Navy has killed 665 Viet Cong Destroyed 4,367 buildings, sunk 297 gun running, running sampans, and fired 31,251 rockets. Busy. I remember thinking this, processing wait, my grandfather killed people. Yeah. And I, I remember going on a walk with him one time, just me and him. I said, Sir, have you killed people? And I, he just very calmly, very collectively said, Yes. I said, oh. Fast forward, you know, we're going to church. Um, we're living in the same town. He's, and I'm like, well, why, you know, Sir would come along, but he wouldn't participate really. Yeah. He's just trying to be, a, again, a male family, so he's there to support. And uh, my father introduced him to this uh, guy, Father Monsignor Ecker. The guy's yeah. the man. That guy was in Vietnam. He was in Vietnam, several a couple of tours. And he ended up talking about, you know, well, what's your hangup for? He's like, well, I've killed people. And he said, well, let's, let's, let's unpack that, you know? If you're in the service, you're, you are to close with, that's that, like Claudius says, that's the point of the end of the you're, diplomacy. You're, you're a minister to execute yeah. justice and that. And so he, he carried that on his shoulders, but when he unpacked what John the Baptist is saying out in the desert, and the Roman, this in terms of, what about us? What do you want us to do? He said, don't grumble about your pay, right? And don't abuse your authority. He said, I, I th- thought I got paid fine in the Navy, you know. And I, I felt like I looked after my, my, the men and women that served underneath me. Yeah. And he said, I can do this. And that little paradigm shift, that mindset shift, like, all right. And he was all in. He was all in.
0: Now, you're, you're talking about your grandfather. Now, I, I can't talk about my grandfather because I never knew him. Uh, Sir's dad, we called him Pops, but he, I think he died the year I was born. I didn't know my grandparents. And you think, well, how does a man with such character come into the world? He obviously had amazing parents. Well, I talked to Aunt Jean before she passed. Mm-hmm. My grandfather, Pops, Sir's father, was the town drunk. And they would put Aunt Jean on a church bus to get rid of her for these vacation Bible schools. And Aunt Jean recalls a time where they're driving over a bridge and all the kids on the bus are laughing because of the drunk on the bridge. And she looked and it was, it was her dad. It was Sir's dad. And, you know, the reason why they moved so much is because he couldn't hold a job. And, you know, you look at a, a man raised in a family like that in the Great Depression. and he, did, he sold Packards and different types of sales jobs, but he never provided much for the family. And they were always, you know, poor as could be. But you never—I I never once heard Sir say anything derogatory about his father, and he just took it in stride and moved on. And he—he he, he left. He was proud that all four of his children had college degrees, because he was the only one in his family to have obtained one.
1: Yeah, it's—it it's, really—he was is. proud of you, Sam. So I remember when I—I I, I came to visit him after um, finishing up uh with you know seal qualification training and i wanted to show him so i went to the retirement home and i'm, I'm in my dress blues that was my first move. you know we'd, we'd take pictures and go like, now i'm gonna go see my grandfather
0: i, re- I remember the graduation ceremony yeah. and then you head over to go see him
1: and i just remember him like hold him you know he's like i used to wear something like this. yeah, yeah? <laughs> but he he was passionate about education he was passionate about family one thing I loved about him was he had a kind word for everyone. everyone. That whole adage, like if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. He lived that. I don't. I, that was buried somewhere in his like.
0: I can't remember him. Code. I can't remember him ever speaking derogatorily towards anyone. Yeah. Pretty he remarkable. A,
1: and one thing yeah. I, I love too, you see all these numbers, and, and you, we can look here and like, wow, that's a war stack. He was a peacemaker. I he was. I was he a was. Peacemaker. I think. I think anyone
0: who's ever experienced war longs for peace. You know, especially in this day and age where people, you know, look at the election and all the struggles and then we're stolen and we, you know, we need a revolution and I I'm thinking to myself, 1860 Civil War, 2% of the nation died on a field of battle, 650,000 men, soldiers, which would be 6.5 million today if the population, you know, equivalency. and. Anyone who's experienced that type of misery doesn't want it. They're going to strive to figure out a way, a solution that's peaceful. And that was Sir's life after Vietnam. He, he, he just strove for peace to the best of his ability.
1: Proud of his service, but wanted peace. And you saw that in the family dynamic, yeah. too. You saw him trying to make amends. He really... Cause Tried to hold it together. He did. He really did. And in his community, they're always having parties at his house. He yeah. loved to party. You know, and he, he was, had the gift of hospitality. Yeah. yeah, he was a
0: host, and he had, he was funny. Yeah,
1: he was. He was funny. Um, he was the
0: funniest man I've ever met.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite stories, and and, and Gigi talked about this a lot. Was he he did a, a training trip to Australia, and uh, they're saying, <laughs> all right, so I, I don't know, maybe he's a commander at the time, Commander McCoy, What we're going to be doing is we're going to be the schedule says we have this time. We have the, the Australian saying yeah. schedule. Yeah, and he said, i going going through it and. Sir's nodding. He goes, did the schedule sound good to you? He said, schedule looks fine. Sounds good to me. I said, how come you don't say schedule the same way we say schedule? Well, I didn't go the same shoe as you. <laughs> 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 he was just, he was quick on he his was, feet. Yeah, He it.
0: was even witty in the throes of Alzheimer's. Yeah. He was in the post office and Lionel Rowe was a big wig in Coronado and my mother, you know, he'd lost his driving privileges, so my mother drops him off to take the packages in right. and get in the line at the post office. Yeah. She goes to park the car. Lionel Rowe is ahead of him in the line and starts making a scene going, Roy, Roy! Yeah. And my dad's trying not to make eye contact. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. I'm just supposed to hold these packages and tell <laughs> that woman that I live lots, with yeah, because yeah, I, I don't know anything <clears throat> else. And he's just trying to hold it together. And he says, Roy, it's Lionel Rowe. You mean to tell me you don't remember me? And he's making a scene in the place. Lionel Rowe. And my dad says, Lionel, you know, Lionel, I liked you better when I knew you. And the whole place erupted in laughter. He just—he yeah. still had a wit, even in the throes of Alzheimer's, which brings me to a video I want to show you. Yeah. Um, so Gigi died before Sir did, and she was never wanting to put him in a home. I remember it was a Saturday. She said, I will take care of him. I will never put him in a home. And I turned to her and I said, look, Mom, no matter how the rest of the family feels, you're his helpmate. You're the one who said, I do. And any decision you make rests with you. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Whatever you decide, you're his helpmate. And that's between you and the Lord. You've gone through this life together. I, I will not stand in judgment. Of course, nobody wants him in a home. But mom, you don't, you don't need to have to worry about everyone else thinking. You, you do what God tells you to do. And she said, well, I just can't do that. I said, I understand. But you do what the Lord tells you to do. That was Saturday. Sunday he was in a home. Because he had an episode where he got up at 3 in the morning, left something burning. She just said, he'll die if he stays with me. I can't at this age do this. And she put him in a home. And when she took him into the home, he looked and he said, I guess it's come to this. And she, she said, yes, Roy, it has. And this is his resilience. He paused and he said, okay. And from that moment on, that was his home. She visited him every day, multiple times in the day. He had more visitors than anybody I, I know of. And he made the best of it. Yeah. And he took care of his room. He took care of the folks there. They loved him. Yeah. But he was in a place, and here's what's fascinating. When my mom made that decision, a few months later, she'd be dead. Because she was diagnosed with lung cancer, had a spot. She went in, had surgery. The surgery was botched. She ended up dying from it. And this is what I want to share with you. I remember going into her hospital room after she'd had the surgery in her, in her mid to late 80s. I mean, she was. She, it was late 80s. Right. And she was going to live to be over 100. I mean, she was vibrant. Yeah, she was big. Yeah. And she's got the tube with the drainage happening and she's looking forlorn out the window. And I realized when I walked into that hospital room, I wasn't walking in as her son, but as her minister. And she looks over at me and she looks back out the window and she says with her back to me, she says, Rob, have I made a mistake? Meaning having the surgery. I said, you know, mom... It's the economy of God's grace. If the surgery is successful, you have more years with us. If it isn't, you get to see the finish line and finish well. But you have nothing to worry about. And she processed that, and she was good with it. And then she said this to me. She said, you know, this has been real hard. And I said, well, Mom, especially with the Alzheimer's, I mean, we're going to take care of Dad regardless. But I said, what do you miss the most about Dad since the disease has taken hold of him? And she smiled, she said, that's real easy. I said, what, Mom? She said, his humor. It's stolen his humor, because as I said, he's the funniest man I've ever met. He, he would have you in stitches. He was so funny. Very funny. And I'll never forget this, Sam. It, it got worse, and then, as you know, Gigi passed. And as she was in ICU, and her lungs had, at 20% capacity, they had her on a, like a fighter pilot mask, blowing in pure oxygen. And she was getting ready. And the minute they take off the mask, she's gone. And she's ready. She's ready to meet the Lord. She's reconciled with all the kids. She's been holding court as people are coming in. She's placing blessings on them, talking to them through the mask. And we weren't sure whether or not to bring Sir in. Because at that point, he didn't speak anymore. And he was was out. And we didn't want to, you know, confuse him. But all the siblings decided we're going to bring him in to say goodbye to Mom. Yeah. And I'll never forget this. Now, remember, the thing she missed most about Sir with the disease was his humor. And I want you to see this video. And, folks, I I want you to take a look at this video because in it, you're going to see my dad's going to come in, and he's going to kiss her mask. He's going to recognize her even through the fighter pilot mask. He's going to kiss her. He's going to back up. Now, the audio is not great, but he's going to back up, and he's going to say, I love you. Now, he didn't talk, so the words coming out are, I love you. I mean, it was... It was sincere, but it took all of his brain matter to make that happen. As he says, I love you, my mom says through the mask, you can't hear her, but we all did. She said, Roy, I'm going to heaven. And my dad backs up and wait till you hear what he says. After she says, Roy, I'm going to heaven, there'll be a pause. You won't hear her say that, but there'll be a pause. And listen to the, the next words out of his mouth after he said, I love you. L- listen to the next words. Watch this video. This is 50, 57 years of marriage, I think. I think. you're right. Yeah. Yeah, close to 60. Yeah, close to 60 years. And, and he recognized her even though he's 15 years into Alzheimer's. Yeah. He wasn't speaking anymore. This is the power of love and faithfulness. Watch this video. Take a look at it. It'll touch you. How
1: will you? I'll race you. I'll race you. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think mom's going to win. I'm
1: getting out, of- Too many- <laughs> getting out of here. Too many people are getting out of here. Too many
0: people.
1: There's a, uh, there's a philosopher. Uh, yeah. I, I'm perplexed a little bit, sorry. And uh, he talks about <clears throat> this idea of hardiness, which, you know, we, we, we hear grit, we hear resiliency, we, hardiness. And I would say, sir's a hardy guy, you know. Yeah. And he breaks it down into challenge, control, commitment. And he layered on a fourth one, courage. And you look at the challenge he faced saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I have Alzheimer's. Process that check, stoic. Boom. I'm in a home. This is how it's going to be. He's challenged with that, but his resolve, despite the mental yeah. degradation and, and uh, decline, he says, "All right, I'm going to make gonna the move best forward. of this." And then the commitment. He's committed to having a great attitude. He can control that. Committed to making his bed, yeah. being neat. I uh, always had his shirt tucked in. Yeah. He was committed. Sometimes to,
0: the shirt was inside out, but right? Doggone, it was, it was, tucked, it was tucked in, in
1: <laughs> yeah, right. And then he was, you know, he's like, "What, what, what can I control? I can control those elements, and I'm going to be committed to being the best human I can be with the conditions I'm in, yeah. right?" And I think all of that layered together is a courageous man, a hardy yeah. man, yeah. and that again, to your point, like learning that through adversity, yeah. you know, home to home, moving all over the country, Al- alcoholic father, out, and getting the Eagle Scout figuring out a way in the midst of in the thirties. Right. Is that yeah. getting a college it. degree? Right. Getting into, or no, sorry, I guess, uh, forties, right? Yeah. He went OCS yeah. late forties and then it's actually fifties. Yeah. Yeah. And then getting into, you know, starting off a rough, rocky career in the military, rising to the rank of captain, turning down, you know, flag, admiral, admiral yeah. um, gets out and, uh, you know, he he lands with was it, the the owner of the Hotel del Coronado, Larry. Yeah. What was uh, last, last Larry last? Lawrence? Larry Lawrence says, "Roy, I like you. So I'm going to offer you a job. It's great." They're playing tennis every day. So well, Larry, what do I do here? Oh, you we just hang out. <laughs> he goes, "No, Larry, I got I got to have a path. So I can't do this." Finds his, you know, he he starts a company, a skateboard company. Yeah. And and the, the co-owner robs him blind, right? Deals with adversity he and keeps bounces moving. Back, bounces back. Finds his way into uh, a bank, you know, banking. As a branch manager. As a branch manager. Rises to senior vice president. Senior executive vice president. Bank Don't forget the executive yeah, the, part. That's, that's up there. Yeah. And he realizes like this bank isn't operating to moral ethical standards. And he whistleblows on him. Yep. He's like, yo, you you need to change. No, we're not changing it. They give him the golden parachute, stocks. You know back in the well, i guess the mid-90s worth somewhere half a million in stocks it's okay the company gets found out those guys go yeah, that away was, that was the banking crisis right? they got tanked and then those stocks worth nothing worth Again, absolutely nothing bounces all right challenge control commit. he's just a hardy you can't shake the guy yeah just moving through adversity and you know what he, great attitude all right and, and committed to family. And he knew what was important. Yeah. It's like, I'm not money. Well, we're going to be fine. We're going to move through this. You know, I don't know if you know this story, Sam. And and
0: for those of you watching, um, it was a different generation. And um, it was was, uh, Memorial Day, 1975. So it was a Monday. And, you know, I got a three-day weekend. I want to go hang out with my friends and uh, sir comes out 1975 he's fresh back from vietnam i'm still getting to know the guy i'm 11 years old i'm starting to you know go off the rails a little bit i'd gotten in some trouble while he was away i'd put nails under car tires and stolen hood ornaments off. yeah i was i was i was the gang of coronado and you know he's he's correcting my behavior um and and he comes home one day and he says get in the car I go, Dad, I want to hang out with my friends with money. He goes, no, no, get in the car. We're going for a drive. I'm frustrated. I'm like, yeah. come on, Dad, g- get in the car. So I get in the car, and we drive. Now, we leave San Diego, and we drive towards Oceanside. That's a good hour drive. We get to Camp Pendleton, the Marine Corps base. We, we cross through the gate. He gets a crisp salute from the Marine Guard uh, with a Navy captain's, you know, colonel in the Marine Corps, and, and their crisp salute. Yeah. We drive into the bowels of Camp Pendleton until we get into the you know, the nether regions of it. And as we come over the ridge, I see tents as far as you can imagine, just hundreds of them. And we park the car and we get out. And we come to the desk and there's another Marine detachment there. They salute him again. They go through the file card catalogs, pull out the number and they say, there you go, sir. We begin to walk through this tent city that had been constructed after the fall of Vietnam, and it's filled with South Vietnamese refugees. I couldn't understand their language, the smells of the different foods. It was all foreign to me, and and I'm 11 years old, and I'm baffled, and I'm, I'm in tow with this man who's getting saluted by everyone. We go through all the different networks in the tent city, and we come to one tent. He checks it on the card, looks at the tent, and he inquires, and Major Nguyen comes out. He salutes my father and he says, uh, Major, there's no need for salute. We're family now. He says, Let's go home. He says, uh, Captain, uh, since we last talked, I've, I've married. He says, Well, where's your wife? He says, He's in there, sir. We'll go get her. And out comes Mrs. Nguyen. She doesn't speak a, speak a, a lick of English. She's from a rural village in Vietnam. I mean, she, and she's younger than the major. And she's left her whole family behind. They've lost everything. So he gets in the front seat with my father. I'm in the back seat with Mrs. Nguyen. She's scared to death. I'm actually taller than she is at 11. And she's just, this is all frightening to her. And we're driving and they're conversing and I'm in the back seat. You know, I'm, I'm wanting to hang out with my friends on a Monday and now I'm sitting with a woman from Vietnam and I, I'm trying to do sign language, trying to get her to smile or anything. And we get home, and I realize this is my new brother and sister, and they live with us. And I'll never forget that, you, you remember how my mom, Gigi, your, your grandmother, she was a meticulous housekeeper. She would vacuum the floors with lines so you'd have to fly from one room to the next because you couldn't leave footmarks, right?
1: Don't touch the lava. Yeah,
0: <laughs> don't touch the <laughs> lava. And, and she was meticulous, and they had just remodeled the kitchen on Flora. Beautiful kitchen. They had spent money they didn't have, and, you know, Gigi, she wouldn't put up with fried food. She hated the smell of fried food. And she threw stuff away. I mean, I couldn't process this lady sometimes. So I, I remember Mrs. Nguyen, she's frying fish in this new kitchen. And I'm like, don't do this. You're not going to live. And I'm thinking, this woman, and she's trying to impress her newlywed husband. Right. She she doesn't have a home. Yeah. She's living under someone else's house wanting to respect the woman. She's cooking. She's nervous and scared. And the oil catches fire. Well, panic. And what do you do in a rural village if you're you know, if it catches fire, you kick it into the dirt. So she kicks it into the carpet. Brand new carpet by the way catches fire. I'm panicking, thinking this. Uh, I'm not worried about the carpet. This Is woman's gonna die. Or fupa. <laughs> <laughs> this woman's gonna die. Right. And they put it out, and she's shaking, and she's so scared. And I'm thinking, oh, you have that no was idea. A good time to go yeah. hang out with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have no idea what's in store for you, lady. Yeah. And my mother doesn't raise her voice, and she comforts her, and holds her while she's sobbing. And I'm baffled. And I remember when it all calmed down, I took my mother aside, and I said, Mom. Why didn't you get angry at her? She burned your brand new carpet. She said, Rob, they lost their country. We can replace the carpet. You know, that was the quality of them. And they lived with us until they they got on their feet. And every time they'd have a child born, they'd call my mother and say, what are we going to name her? She was their grandmother. When when Gigi passed and Sir passed, they were all at the funeral. We've been to their weddings. We've been to their yeah. weddings. They're all successful in their own rights. Yeah. I mean, we're talking doctor. I mean, this is an oh. amazing family. Yeah. And, and that's, that's America. You know, they want to call us systemically racist, and they want to pit us against one another. Good luck with that. You know, i got a Vietnamese brother. I've, I've got a, a black son-in-law. I've got mixed grandchildren, I mean, take your rhetoric elsewhere. This is America. You want to talk about systemic racism, that only comes with people who are trying to foment revolution and pit us against one another. America is not a nationality, it's an idea. And it's a place of refuge. And that's what my father fought for, and that's what's instilled in us. And here, you know, inspired by that man's life, you embark on a career in the United States Navy, and not just a career, you weren't a line officer, you weren't a, a black shoe, you weren't a pilot, you, you went hardcore, you went into the SEAL team. And you had, to, you had to lead men in some of the most adverse conditions. And I remember you telling me some of the stories, especially in Buds, but where did you find the strength And I'm leading you to answer the question, obviously, to honor sir, but you had some amazing wisdom because you're dealing with the finest in the United States Navy and you're supposed to command them. And these are NCOs. These are guys that, you know, they're tough. And a lot of these enlisted guys had master's degrees and doctorates and you led them. when you come up, and if you if you want to share, great. If you don't, no big deal. But maybe even training a, a circumstance that you came up against adversity. I remember you're telling me one story about a boat crew or whatever it is. If you feel comfortable sharing, great. If not, no big deal. But where where you found that leadership that that we're speaking of with a man that's so influenced our life?
1: Well, one thing that I would, I'll just say is that. You know, leadership is something you're always growing in. So it's something I'm still trying to form and, and develop. But one thing I got to answer your question, and it's leading, but I want to circle back to it, is in some of the moments that I look at, I'm like, wow, I don't, I don't know how to navigate that or moving, moving forward through different adversity. One thing I loved about SIR that I've tried to just put in my hip pocket is that SIR... Um, and the examples you shared tonight, uh, stores that kind of are, are around the dinner table within our family, is he never led with just rank. He led with this, and he was relational. Yeah. And, and Sir was a man of great naturalness. He, he could kind of put the rank aside, and you would still want to follow him because yeah. he loved people. He cared about people. He cared about his, the mission. And he cared about the people doing the mission, and that is leadership, because he was able to take people and move them to accomplish a goal, and they were following him because he was leading. And that's the thing when, you're, when you have humans, he was getting on their level, and he said, "Look, this is, I'm doing it with you." yeah, you know and, and people wanted to follow him because he loved people. He loved, it and you knew it. yeah and, uh, and that's something I think that any great leader that I've seen. And I, I look up to a lot of leaders, is the best ones realize that they're engaging a human person. Yeah. They're not, there's like, it's not just this, no, you know, they're engaging a human yeah, it's person. It's not a facade. Yeah, it's real. And, yeah. and Sir was a real leader, and I, I really do think it was here. Yeah. And yeah, he had the authority, he had the rank, and he kept going, but I, I think he still had those qualities starting as an ensign, you yeah. know, because he, he understood genuine. people, yeah. and he wanted the best for people. That's true.
0: You were able to navigate and share and hit me in the feels and still not share anything about yourself. Yeah. That's very gifted. Yeah, you know, it's like a shell game. Yeah. Should I try to reword it and try to get you to do something? Let's not. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share another story. Um, we're limited on time, but I, I think we have time for this, that... Um, when, when Gigi was dying and she was now in ICU, uh, all four of the kids had to get together, your your mom and your aunt yeah. and your uncle and me, your other uncle. And we had to get together to decide what to do. And your mom was in charge of Gigi's health directive and, and your aunt uh, was in charge of their finance directives. And then Lauren, who's the oldest, my brother, your uncle, and I weren't in charge of anything. I was the youngest, he was the oldest. And that was okay because we didn't live in town and they were there caring for mom and and sir. And Aunt Gretchen and I had had a falling out. And she was upset with me uh, for a, a reason that I don't have time to go into detail on. But, you know, it was just different views of life. And uh, we were gonna have to have this inevitable meeting. And she was upset. And I wasn't looking forward to the meeting because first of all, there's tension in the family. Uh, our, our 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 mother's dying. And then there's interpersonal issues that we have to resolve. And it's all coming to a, a head right there. And, and it's it's gonna be a trying day. So as I was driving down from Thousand Oaks and Lauren was driving west from Redlands and we met, at the Sand and Sea where Sir was, the, the assisted living facility right. where Sir was. We stopped there before we went to your, your parents' house for the meeting. And we get to the meeting and we sit down uh, and Sir's there and I sit next to him in this love seat on the patio. It's just the two of us and I'm holding his hands. He had the most beautiful hands because he was a, a woodworker, a woodworker yeah. by hobby, but he just had really cool hands. Uh, and, he, and when he spoke, he used his hands when he spoke. He just had this way about him. Um, and they just, you know, he just shaved and they'd given him a haircut. and He just smelled great. and He looked great. And my brother, being the oldest, you know, wanting the blessing from my father, he pulls the chair up in front of my dad. And my dad's not speaking at this point, as you can see in the video. And he, he says, Dad, I'm Lauren. Can you say Lauren? And it's kind of irritating. He does it every time you go. And I'm like, just give him a break, Lauren. Why do you have to hear, hear him say your name? Can't you just leave him alone? And he's going through the mantra, I'm Lauren, I'm your oldest, can you say Lauren? And I'm holding Sir's hand while Lauren's doing this thing. And Sir squeezes my hand. I thought, ah, that's kind of cool. And Lauren keeps doing it, and Sir squeezes my hand again. I'm like, maybe it's Morse code, I'm trying to figure this out. And it's time to go, and I... I just let go of his beautiful hands, and I I kiss his warm cheek, and I hug his warm neck, and he smells good, and say goodbye, and we get in the car, and I'm just contemplating that visit, and I'm praying over the impending trial that I'm about to face, and the Lord kind of speaks to my heart. I was really blessed by it. and just kind of gave me a picture so we sit down at the table and it's not like a table like this i'm sitting sitting here your aunt gretch sitting ac- directly across from me your, your mom's right here and and uncle lauren is there so they're all on that side of the table i'm right here and aunt gretch just unleashes she's frustrated she yeah. wants to get it out there she she's she's that way she's direct and she just starts ungluing like laying it out and you know what fair I love enough. that about her. Yeah, she is, she doesn't yeah. hold back and, and and she had an honest concern and frustration and I'm I'm taking it in and you know your mom and your uncle are scooting away from the nuclear explosion here and I'm just taking it you know and in the middle of her Should frustration in, no burger <laughs> in the middle of her frustration I I insert this the Lord put it on my heart. I just inserted it. I said, hey Gretch, dad talk to me today. Now she loves her. And it flusters her in the middle of her her anger. And she says, he doesn't talk. And Lauren chimes in. He goes, I was there. He didn't say anything. And I look over at Lauren. I go, he did. You just weren't listening. And Gretchen says, well, what, what did he say? And I said, well, you know when Lauren does that mantra, I'm Lauren. Can you say Lauren? Because they've all been, they've visited with Lauren. They've seen him do that and they're like rolling their eyes going, yeah, we know. I said, well, he was doing it again today and I was holding Sir's hand and while Lauren was trying to get him to say his name, Sir squeezed my hand not once but twice and this is what he said to me without words, Gretch. He said, Rob, Lauren wants something from me I can no longer give him but he's missing the things I can give him, a hand to hold, a cheek to kiss and a neck to hug. And I said, Gretch, I think Dad had a message for you and me. You're upset because I can't give you things that you want. But you're missing the things I can give you. And I could be upset with you for things you can't give me. Because our lifestyles are different. Our political views are different. But we can't miss the things that we can give to each other. Anniversaries and birthdays. And you know I love you. And she started crying. And I did too. And... Here's a man in a home with Alzheimer's who communicates via a squeezing of a hand that settles the entire issue at the table where all of us from that moment forward... I mean, we divided the entire estate and Gretchen and I went through all of it and there wasn't an, an argument after Sir and Gigi passed. Not one argument. And I attribute that to what Sir instilled in the two of us that he was able to communicate to us without words something so profound. That's, that's the amazing gift. And, and folks want to look at this disease and want to look at life and, and give every reason to quit or to give an excuse as to why, you know, I don't deserve this. And that's the resilience. You know, we're not victims. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. He had an alcoholic father. He made the best of it. He was raised in poverty. He made the best of it. He was put in a home. He made the best of. It. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He made the best of it. He was in a military career. He made the best of it. And I think for folks tuning in, you know, maybe they're not interested in us reflecting on the most important man in our life. But I wanted to take time to do that because, you know, anything that's good in my life, I attribute first of all to Jesus Christ, and then secondly to Sir. And there's something to be said about an earthly hero because they're flawed and trust me as his son there were times that he i I can tell you he was not perfect in any way shape or form he had his flaws and they were they were glaring but that's what life is it's like eating chicken you eat the meat and you spit out the bones
1: i love everything that was just kind of unpacked there and um you know you you look at his life and you're right. I, I mean, as a grandson, you're looking through it through rose-colored glasses, and he's a human person. Yeah. You know, we're not going to idolize and We have a tendency in Western culture to idolize someone if they're, they're dead um, and make them into this myth and this legend. He was a real person. He put on pants like you and I did. He had challenges. He went through adversity. But he had, he had it, failures. He had failures, but he moved forward. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing, though, that I was kind of gleaning as you're sharing that is our culture says it's almost this mindset of like hey you're not you're worthless unless you're contributing and he was not contributing you know from a monetary standpoint from a production standpoint when he's in the retirement home but the story he just showed he was contributing a lot and and i also think regardless of whether he's contributing wearing wearing rank or if he had his mental faculties he had dignity and respect And he treated others, regardless if he was in a high position with his faculties or, you know, in the retirement home, he treated others with dignity and respect. I'll close with this last story. Uh, he was not
0: happy that I gave up a career in sales as a divisional manager with Unilever to go into the ministry. And I had made that decision when he was in Peak, Colorado, on vacation so I didn't have to face his wrath. And he had one of those old cell phones like a Korean War radio, had terrible reception. It broke up just as he was getting angry. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I made sure I went through with it before he got back. And he just was not happy with that career choice. He did not want me in the ministry. And he said, you know, because to him, you provide and you protect and you will not be able to provide in the ministry. Your family will be in abstract poverty and you'll be relying on others. And it's just not a place for you. But he didn't understand the calling and I didn't expect him to. And I, I, to be a man, you got to make those decisions. And I, I did it prayerfully. I knew what I was doing and I moved forward with it. And he was he was upset by it, very upset by it. And he, he was tough on me. And he, you know, he wouldn't give me the time of day. And you know, that's a flaw. He wasn't supportive. He was upset. And he, and in the midst of it, um, I remember my mother reflected back one time and she said, You know why he was so hard on you in the ministry? I said, No, and he said, Because if you were correct in the decision you made, he would have had to have re-evalu- reevaluated his entire life to embrace the God you were serving. Oh, I didn't know that. that's a powerful instance. And he tested you in every way possible. I would like to have known that then. Right, right. But this was the greatest gift God has given me to date, uh, second only to my wife, and, well, and my children, and my grandkids. Anything else? None. You? No. No, you're a good nephew, no, no, no. but this is a good necessary. No, I'm just giving you a hard time. He, we were we were visiting, and again he was in Alzheimer's. He, he was about a year out of the home.
1: Yeah.
0: And we were sitting on a love seat, my wife and I, and my mother's in a high back chair. And my wife and my mother are having a conversation, and I'm sitting next to my wife on the love seat. And there's another high back chair to my right. And Sir is coming in, bringing my mother a blanket, bringing her a banana, bringing her a cup of water. You know, just <laughs> coping, trying to. I serve this you woman. Yeah. And yeah. she she just finally says, "Roy, sit down. Right. You're driving me crazy." And he sits down. And I don't want to make eye contact with him. He'd be right here. And I can tell he's looking at me through my peripheral vision, but I'm pretending I'm listening to my mother and my, my wife talk. I'm listening to him talk, but I'm, I'm trying to pretend I'm not engaged with what I'm seeing in my peripheral. And I, I see that he's glaring at me, and I don't want to look at him because it's going to fluster him because he's not going to know what to say. And finally, I just I can't do it anymore. I just turn and I look at him. He's looking at me right in the eye, which is a rarity in Alzheimer's. And you can tell his brain is just grinding. And he looks at me and he says, What do you do? And I said, uh, Well, well, sir, I'm a minister. I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. Hmm. You know my son is a minister and I'm very proud of him. Wow, well, yeah. And I'm like, well... I'm the only one of your children that's a minister, so you've got to be talking about me. I mean, that, that hit me that day. Wow. And um, it was a gift from the Lord. Michelle heard it. It was only God can do that. And that, that was the time where, you know, it was like, I'm proud of your calling. And it, it's, if you look for it, folks, God provides it, but it's going to be in the still small voice It's not going to be in the earthquakes. It's not going to be in the lightning and the thunder. It's going to be in the feeble voice of a man with Alzheimer's who's who's squeezing your hand, maybe. It's going to be in reflection in life. And um, I just thought fitting today as we were going through leadership training with the, the staff and seeing what God's done in your life. And the entire staff was so blessed by your insights on leadership. And we were all strengthened by it and then reflecting on really how we got to the places where we are and mm. both of us find that that one point in life, which is that man, Roy Edgar McCoy, Captain. That's a cool name. Roy Edgar that's cool McCoy, name. that's right. Well, my middle name's Roy. There you go. Yeah, Robert Roy Walter McCoy. I'm named after my father and my grandfather. I love it. Yeah, I, actually I was named after a whiskey sour, but that's okay. Also cool. Yeah, they were drinkers then. Yep. Yeah, it's okay. Sam, let's close tonight. Um, if you could just—I know what you do, but just share with me as though I don't know. What's the business you're in, and what do you do, so people can hear about it, and what you do across the country, because this is a venture of faith for you, and it's—I got to tell you—you're in—you're in your wheelhouse. It was remarkable what you share with our staff oh, thank you. and your gifting on training people and leadership. So break it down so folks can
1: understand. Just tell me. Yeah, so real succinctly, one—it was a pleasure working with your team. So I'm off, after getting off of active duty, I started a company with my buddies called the the Frassati Company. So a boutique leadership and consulting firm.
0: Say the name again.
1: Yeah, the Frassati Company. Frassati Company. So it's named after Blessed Pierre Georgia Frassati. He was an adventurer, um, an awesome guy. He died when he was 24. And at his funeral, his parents were agnostic. There were thousands of people that came because he was given away all of his, his dad was very wealthy, he was ambassador to Germany. And he would make sure that everyone in his community was taken care of to include the marginalized. And so all of the town of Turin came out to, to his funeral. And I remember reading this as a 24-year-old um, when I was in my 20s. Like, wow, this guy was living well. I can do that. And so it's just an inspiration. He's always been an inspiration to me. His example. So it's named after him. It's a shout out to the Versace company, and we're designed to work with companies under the idea that healthy things grow, unhealthy things don't, and we're really taking a lot from Patrick Linsoni working in the Kappa Pro model, which is based in an alliance of consultants, and so we break it down. We have build that cohesive team, create alignment, cascade clarity, and then create those human systems so you have enough structure, you know, in place so you know how to retain that culture, that DNA, whether it's how you hire, how you retain, how you compensate, and just really making sure that those healthy sides are implementing that smart side, which is technology, right? And marketing and yes. Yeah. So all those things yeah. that a business and a nonprofit have to do well and just giving it that tail tailwind of, all right, how do you minimize politics? How do you keep low turnover? And all those things that are important to just creating that alignment so you have faster, more effective, better decisions. Well,
0: it it, it was amazing how in such a short amount of time you're able to dial in each of the different personalities, um, allow us to see where we're weak and where we're strong and how to shore that up. I mean, I I just have to tell you, I've been, you know, especially in sales, I've been to more seminars than the Pope has appointments. And this, this was remarkable today. You're really gifted and you're, you're in your wheelhouse. So, um, how can
1: folks connect with what you're doing? Yes, yeah, so we have an online presence. Uh, what is it? VersatiCompany.com. How do you spell it? F R A S S A T I. Company. Okay. I, uh, I was a suboptimal smeller. I never want to spell be so hopefully I got that right. Yeah, yeah me too. VersatiCompany.com. And, um, dot com. and we're, we have a presence there. We're on LinkedIn as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sam. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Hey, uh,
0: it's our tradition. We've been doing it for over 370 plus episodes where we we close the night with uh, the blessing out of numbers. You want to read it tonight?
1: Yeah. Let's all do right.
0: It. So folks, uh, this blessing's for all of you. And before Sam reads it, I would just share with all of you, uh, especially as you've reflected maybe tonight on uh, this man that's deeply touched our lives, Uh you're, you're, you're dealt a hand to cards, but how you deal with that in life is strictly up to you. So uh, don't be discouraged. Make the best of it and persevere and overcome it and have that tenacity and watch what God does. I love it. And then one day people will reflect on your life and you'll realize that you were somebody's hero. So, amen? Amen. All right, right, we'll
1: take it away, Sam. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
0: Well done. Well, folks, thanks for joining us tonight, especially here with my nephew, uh, Lieutenant Commander Sam Blair. And uh, thanks for indulging us as we reflect on really our hero. And that's uh, Captain Roy McCoy, father, grandfather extraordinaire. There you go. Amen. Thanks, everybody. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow night.